Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for super chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer web radio show brought to you by Combot Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. I'm about to say something that may shock you. There's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. 
Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed, leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now. The only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now, they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. I was just kind of thinking, going over this week's shows, we, we were on and broadcast on Tuesday with Dr. Bridget McRae, and um, we were talking all about a study that just came out of Auburn University uh, for small flock keepers, uh, and this was something I was so excited about because I know that she's uh, working over there trying to get more studies done for uh, uh, small flock folks, and one of the big ones, because we're basically taking this information from uh, the Factor Chicken Poop Book, which our guest today was uh, a very uh, important part of that book, Dr. Pateski, but, um, and, and, and we're taking other things that we see out on these blogs and forums and we're saying, hey, you know, we, we feel like this is chicken poop um, based on everything we research. We don't see any proof that this is, is the case, but um, now we're starting to get some studies done where we can say now we know there's not any proof, and they did that study um, I guess it was last semester, last part of the year on uh, whether or not um, apple cider vinegar, and I didn't know this until yesterday when we, or Tuesday when we had them on the air. Uh, they also did one on green tea. I didn't even know people were saying green tea uh, uh, treats or prevents uh, or combats coccidiosis in, in poultry. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, wow, that's a reach. But um, So they did both, and we had the young lady, the, the grad student, come on and who kind of did all the legwork, I guess, and then, of course, we have the, the um, scientist uh, and the professor that's going to be writing an article for Chicken Whisperer Magazine in the summer, uh, so you can see in print <clears throat> how the study was run, and she described it beautifully on Tuesday about how, nope, sorry, um, the, at, the, at the dose that 
the, the most popular dose that's shared on blogs and forums out there in the chicken world right now, one tablespoon per gallon of water. It's just they uh, it didn't do poop to, uh, uh, to treat the coccidiosis, and she went through all the study. It neither did the green tea. So it was, uh, it's good. It was great. It, what, what a great week to, to have that on Tuesday. And then today, again, more science. Got to love it. Um, how chemicals found in the environment can affect your eggs in a little bit more detail than that. Um, we have Dr. Uh, Pateski on, as well as a colleague of his, Dr. Uh, Pushner, and we're going to be talking about, they're going to be talking about, because uh, it's way over my pay scale, <laughs> the focus will be on the relationship between chemicals like heavy metals, PCBs, um, PBDEs in the environment, and food safety with a focus on eggs. Now, this may be totally non-related, but when I read that and heard about what we were going to be talking about today, I remember a phone call I received about eight or nine years ago in Atlanta from the CDC, and they wanted to uh, do a show, on Chicken Whisperer show, on some findings regarding lead in the soil that was ending up in backyard chicken eggs, and they wanted to do a show to educate our listeners on just to be aware of uh, the fact that if you live in a home that was built back in the lead-based paint days, if you lived on a homestead uh, with older outbuildings, older barns, things like that, uh, to just be aware, you know, chickens like to scratch, they like to pick up any, anything. And I, and I love it when, when, when I see this on blogs and forums when they say, for the most part, your chickens are going to know what's good and bad for them. They're going to know what to eat and what not to eat. Well, you obviously haven't seen the collection jars there at the uh, poultry, uh, uh, state poultry labs where they have a jar of all the things they pull out of these chickens from nuts and screws and styrofoam and everything else. That always cracks me up. But, um, but, but talking about scratching up lead paint, you know, paint chips from around the, the base of the home and different things like that. So when I first saw this, that popped into my head. The show uh, may or may not be related to that. It may be included in that. But also I read from Dr. Pateski sending me an email. I was like, elaborate a little bit more on this so I can kind of promote this show appropriately. And uh, the fact that with floods and wildfires um, affecting um, chemicals, I guess, that can be found in the soil that now your chickens are in and around and scratching and picking up things from the soil. So it's going to be a fascinating show. I encourage you to get your uh, Chicken Whisper notebooks out. I've got one right in front of me to take some notes and to write questions along the way. I've got the chat room open today as well, so you can join us in the chat room. That's something that's kind of new here in 2018. So you can, uh, if you're listening live now, just scroll down on your Blog Talk radio page. You'll see where the chat's opened up. If you register, either with Facebook or Twitter or with um, Blog Talk uh, and get kind of a screen name, if you will, then you can ask questions live in the chat room. You can also post questions. I'll check periodically throughout the show. If you have any questions, uh, post them on our Facebook page under where we just promoted the show earlier and we'll try to get those on the air. So uh, without further ado, we want to get the show started so we can cover as much information about this as we can and see how it may relate to us as small backyard keepers, hobbyists, uh, small homesteads, and, uh, and things like that. So I'm going to go ahead and bring on um, both our guests today. We have, of course, you know, Dr. Maurice Pateski, who's been on the show for years and years, contributor to Chicken Whisper Magazine and Factor Chicken Food Book. And then, of course, a colleague of his, both from UC Davis out in California, uh, Dr. Pushner. And uh, let's go ahead um, 
And I think, uh, Dr. Pateski, most folks know your background and know a little bit about yourself because you come on the show all the time, right, for the magazine. Uh, but if Dr. Pushner, if I could have um, you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and position there and, and, and what, what you do there at the university, and then we can get on to, to the topic since, um, since you're a new guest today and we appreciate you both from coming on. But an extra big thank you to Dr. Pushner for coming on and, um, and talking about this topic. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Doc. Yeah, first of all, um, thank you for inviting me on the show. It's very exciting to share some of my interests with the listeners and also hopefully answer some questions. So by training, I'm a veterinarian, and I um, have an advanced degree, a Ph.D., uh, relevant to toxicology, and my my focus is really trying to establish uh, guidelines on preventing exposure to toxicants through the food chain, and whether that is in an urban environment or in a more um, um, environment um, that involves, um, you know, large operations, mm-hmm. well beyond mm-hmm. the backyard type operations. But I'm I'm focusing on assessing levels of potentially harmful chemicals and other poisons or potentially toxic comp- compounds in milk and egg and meat in in the environment, and establish some guidelines and information to the consumers on a what we can test for and how we can help interpret those data to make sure we don't expose especially sensitive populations like children or pregnant women to those com- mm-hmm. chemicals. That's great. I remember also probably about six or seven years ago, thank you for sharing, um, I want to say it was in the um, uh, on the west coast up towards Oregon, there was, and I could probably go find it because we did radio shows on this for about a month, about um, some children that, that were tested and had high levels of lead in their um and their system, pretty sure it was lead. And then they, they they tracked it back to the feed they were buying, and then the feed company had to go and find out what fields they were coming from. It was it was a big deal. And this also was about seven, uh, six or seven years ago when when we did that. But I guess in, in the smaller setting, I guess they would each all have their challenges. But when you're thinking, you know, urban backyards or even a country backyard. And, and what you may have there that could affect our food from even somebody, you know, the uh, painting a picture, and I'm sure you all will get into this. You've got um, the urban dweller that, that's a new chicken keeper, and they're, and they're wanting to do this for whatever reasons, X, Y, and Z, but they just may not think, you know what, we've got we've got uh, the orchid man coming that sprays around our house for this, that, and the other. We've got uh, the yard service that comes, and then he does the uh, pre-emergent, the herbicides, and all this thing that he's spraying. They just may not think about that. And then, of course, you've got your backyard chickens that are eating the grass and the clippings and scratching around for that. I guess the, the, the things that we just don't often think about um, that, that come to play in that, but I'm sure there's others that you'll, you'll talk about today. So I'm going to, of course, welcome also Dr. Pateski. Thank you for coming on today, Doc. And I'll, I'll just kind of turn it over to you guys. I'll be listening very carefully, writing questions, looking to see on the social media if there's any questions with our live listeners, and, uh, and let you all kind of tell us what you are looking at, what the concerns are, what we need to be aware of, and and I hate to use the word risk, but just, just to be aware of things that we may not just think about with our backyard, urban, our homesteading flocks. Great. Well, thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me again. It's good to be here. Um, Thank you. I wanted to say one thing when you were talking about that uh, apple cider vinegar study. I'm very excited about mm-hmm. that. Um, I wish green tea, it, it, not that humans get coccidiosis, but I wish green tea, um, if green tea did, did cure coccidiosis, I, I, would, I would definitely be cured from it because I, I drink, that's my, that's my primary source of caffeine. <laughs> so, um, I didn't even I'll know. Keep, I was so surprised. 
surprise Tuesday when, when they added that into the mix because I was just thinking and focused and heard it was apple cider vinegar. And then when they threw in green tea, I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. So y'all, did, <laughs> y'all tested both of these. And 240 chickens, I mean, she went through everything. And I was Dang. like, wow, the science behind these things. But, but yeah, that, that was exciting. We hope to do another one coming up soon. Um, there, there's so many, obviously, but we're hoping to get you know, maybe two or three done every year to try to start combat all this myths and rumors and things like that. But that that was a big one. We were glad to get that completed. So, yeah, green tea. uh, (laughs) It's great to have that, too, because I I think we finally, in science in general, we finally moved to the stage where if you get negative results, if you show that green tea doesn't um, affect coccidiosis uh, infections or the load that the chickens have, and if you find out the apple, cinegar, apple cider vinegar, excuse me, does not have an effect also. In the old days, you know, literally like 10 years ago, you couldn't really publish that. So that really doesn't do a, a service to the, to the general public. Nowadays, there's, there's an acknowledgement and actually I think a, a really healthy um, kind of appreciation for negative results. So now when we get those negative results, you can actually publish those. I mean, a while ago, it was really hard to publish that type of stuff, which is obviously not really very helpful. Um, you shouldn't just be publishing <laughs> the results that are significant. You should be publishing all the results because that's, that's the whole point of doing the experiment. So it's good that, the first of all, it's great that they're doing that experiment um, to kind of address those, those issues, and it's great mm-hmm. that they're, um, knock on wood, going to be able to publish it because as long as you have a sound uh, study, you should be able to publish that and, and mm-hmm. people should be able to kind of see that that's been done already before you have to reinvent the wheel a hundred times. Um, you, you, all three of us on the show right now, and, and I told them on, the, on Tuesday, I said, you know what's going to happen is that uh, I'm just waiting for it to be, to be sent to me via email. Well, now they're saying, well, um, uh, a half a cup. Of apple cider vinegar per gallon is what we're really looking for. So, so you know, you have to be technical. You know, the study says, you know, and we, we, we used that because that was the most uh, used uh, amount, one tablespoon per gallon of water. So, so now I'm just waiting for someone to say, oh, well, that's all. It just says that it doesn't work for that. But if you put a quarter cup per gallon, then now we're talking about some good stuff happening. So, so I'm just waiting for someone to, just to use that and say, uh, well, that only shows one amount, but what about this amount? What about this much? So, so I'm waiting for that to happen. I haven't seen it yet, but it will probably rear its ugly head, and uh, we'll just have to kind of go roll with the punches there. But, um, but no, yeah, the green tea thing, I, I was amused at that too because I'd never seen or heard anybody saying that green tea cured or treated or combated coccidiosis, so that was a new one for me too. But, hey, they, they, they ha, killed two birds with one stone with that study, so that was, right, that was right. good, I guess. Well, if any of your listeners would like to fund the uh, you know additional apple cider vinegar studies, Dr. Pushner and I would be more than willing to, uh, to do the work. <laughs> the grants are hard to get, so any any research funds we can get would be great. <laughs> that's great. Well, let's uh, let's get started on 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 the chemicals and the uh, and the possible uh, uh, effects of our backyard eggs and, and other uh, farms, small farms, small flocks, things like that, and, and what, what we can learn from you guys regarding that. Thank you. Yeah, great. So I'll, I'll kind of take the lead, and um, I, I'd like Dr. Okay. Pushner because I, I really kind of started getting interested in this after Dr. Pushner kind of um, after a lot of her work um, in livestock and other food animals kind of looking at this relationship between uh, toxic chemicals in the food we eat. So um, I'm going to defer to her a lot because this is um, mm-hmm. primarily her area of expertise, and I've gotten really interested in it because that's, um, uh, A, it's, it's, it's probably a underreported problem, and, um, B, it's, it's, it's definitely something that um, we 
don't do a, a large amount of research on relative to some of the other things we look at in backyard poultry, like, like salmonella um, and things like mm-hmm. that. So I think it's, it's, to me, that's that, that relationship, it's, it's really interesting this, that, that historically folks like myself have always focused on uh, things like salmonella and campylobacter bacteria, basically, in backyard poultry and, and the risks that are associated with that. Um, but when you look at the literature, there's just not as much when it comes to uh, things like uh, heavy metals uh, like lead and cadmium and mercury and cobalt and all these things that get used kind of for industrial purposes that we can talk about in a little, um, and dioxins um, and PCBs and all these things that are, you know, for better or for worse, part of our part of our environment because they, they get used or they have been used historically, um, dioxins and uh, lead are, are are banned primarily as far as their a lot of their uses usages in the United States, um, but unfortunately the um, they, they they don't break down um, in the environment for the most part, so it's very challenging to to kind of reduce their levels um, in, a, in an effective way. In the same way, unfortunately, where when it comes to bacteria, um, bacteria are are not very for the most part. Um, are are not are, are very sensitive to changes in temperature and dryness. So in the summer, for example, um, when you have like a dirt pad that you're raising your poultry on, um, salmonella and E. coli don't persist as much. Uh, unfortunately, heavy metals like um, like lead do. So uh, this is a more complex problem, and I think that might be part of the reason that a lot of people um, don't investigate. Uh, these type of contaminants in our backyard poultry in the same way that maybe we've historically spent a lot of time and energy in in a good way um, trying to figure out uh, how salmonella and campylobacters and E. coli and various viruses and um, protozoal parasites, how they get into um, the environment. So, um, but I did want to kind of say there there is a connectivity there. So in in the same way, for the most part, that, that bacteria can get into our chickens, um, a lot of these toxic chemicals can also get into our chickens um, just through this oral route. Um, and in California, we've had some recent fires in northern and southern California. Um, and unfortunately, they've been in very urban areas um, primarily. Um, but even in, in non-urban areas, you can have real um, problems. Um, and one of the things that is unique about backyard poultry is that um, backyard poultry are often raised next to homes. Um, if those homes burn, uh, for example, there, there can be um, real challenges there because backyard poultry um, eat off the ground. So if you look at a lot of studies, they can spend actually up to 25% of their time um, just kind of nibbling off the ground. And, you know, if there's one thing that we're going to kind of big picture um, kind of summary of, of what, Dr. Pushner and I are going to talk about today, we are what we eat. So if our, if our chickens are in an environment where there's toxicants in the water and the soil and the feed, um, that can end up in um, their muscle, um, that can end up in their organs, that can end up in their eggs, and, and subsequently end up um, in our food. So it's really important that um, as you were talking about those kind of scenarios in our backyards, um, it's really important not, 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 that not only that we recognize um, that our backyards are, our, our birds are a function of their environment in their backyard, uh, but we also have to look at kind of our regional environment. So understanding, you know, proximity to Superfund sites. So we're in California here. We unfortunately lead the nation in Superfund sites. We have 94 Superfund sites um, and dozens of PCB cleanup sites. So there's a lot of 
contaminants that are potentially in the environment and, and fires and floods um, because of the nature of, of how they work, um, fires and floods can work to um, spread those contaminants because uh, fires produce ash and um, ashing, um, ash can contain all kinds of things and ash is basically um, a, um, a very light uh, material that really reflects, depending on the temperature and what's burning, really reflects what was burning. So if, if we're in an urban area and a home burns down, you can imagine the garage and all the chemicals that are present there. Um, you can get a lot of different he heavy metals um, and uh, other contaminants that can be present in ash. And ash is really light, as we all know, so it can disperse um, for miles in a lot of cases. Um, and some ash is very uh, likes water, so it can dissolve in water. So in California, the, the joke is we have three seasons: we have summer, uh, summer season, uh, fire season, and flood season. Um, so you can imagine uh, <laughs> scenarios now where where things can really move um, significant distances away from where the source of the contamination was. Um, so it's it's a real it's a real problem. I think chickens are are very unique. Um, because, again, they eat off the ground. They can live in urban areas, but even if they don't live in urban areas, if your home was built before 1978, a lot of the material in your home can have lead in it. Um, and eggs are somewhat unique um, because um, eggs contain their porous, first of all, um, but the eggs also, the yolk uh, material of the egg is, is fatty. Um, it's delicious and healthy and all those type of things, but um, there are some chemicals that like fats more than um, than non-fats, so um, they can they can be absorbed in those. Um, so it's really important for us to understand in whether we have fire or floods or whether we don't have any of those. Um, it's really important for us to recognize uh, what our environment may or may not have in it, um, and it's important to understand that there are, um, I'd say, a whole menu of options that are that a whole menu of different chemicals that are present in the environment and it's really important that we I think be aware of them not so much afraid of them but just aware of them and that um, during this conversation we also talk about ways that we can have our eggs and our chickens tested for um, these type of contaminants and um, I think it might be good for maybe for Dr. Pushner to maybe talk a little about um, some of the different types of contaminants that, that you can't talk about them all because there's a whole suite of them, but maybe she can kind of um, give a description of the ones that um, maybe are most relevant and um, to, to maybe some of the listeners. Sure, yeah, I can, I can uh, add a little bit. And I want to pick up on what Andy said earlier about the, the lead problem that you thought was going back to like six, seven years in Oregon. Mm -hmm. in children. So the interesting thing is, um, so we had, for instance, we had an example. We had a chicken submitted for, for workup that had died in a backyard situation. And the pathologists did their thorough workup, and they identified that the chicken had died of um, a carcinoma, so a cancer. But mm -hmm. randomly, we actually tested that chicken for lead as part of routine screening and identified that the chicken had very high lead levels in the liver. So we followed up and said, could you send us, this was a layer, could you send us a few um, eggs from your backyard environment to check for lead? And sure enough, the lead levels in these eggs were very high. So the consumption of a single egg from that backyard environment approached the designated maximum allowance by uh, the state of California for consumption of wow. lead. And so 
it was a random finding. The animal didn't die from lead exposure. That was a, mm-hmm. and that's important too when we talk about these environmental contaminants. The animals typically don't develop any clinical signs of sickness, so it's it's really difficult. So like like Dr. Pitesky said, we're not necessarily jumping on that and, and doing a lot of surveillance because the animals don't show overt clinical signs of of stress or distress or illness. Mm-hmm. So lead is Sounds one just that like we are. The big one we talk about every year, is, this sounds to me also, reminds me a lot of like the salmonella. You, you try to tell, but well, my birds don't look sick. And, and, and yeah, the, the bird can look absolutely completely healthy, um, but yet still be shedding the salmonella um, all, all the time. So that's, that's another thing that, you know, my birds look healthy. And, and I try to, uh, when, when it fits, because I don't want to overdo it because then people, it's, it's unrealistic. But, you know, everybody says, oh, my birds are healthy. So when I'm, when I'm touring the country and speaking and we're going over biosecurity and, and salmonella as well, and, and I use that kind of as an example, I say something. Oh, I know. I said, oh, you know, we don't want you to bring disease out from your flock. You know, don't bring it out. Don't bring it in. Don't take it out. Don't bring it mm-hmm. in. And then I'll use that to emphasize that, you know, a lot of you are out there thinking and looking at me right now saying, what are you talking about? My birds are healthy. And I just return and say, well, when was the last time you had them tested for anything? Uh, whether we're talking mycoplasma or salmonella or, or now, you know, lead or whatever the case may be. So I think, again, not, and I, I reemphasize just like we did here, is not to um, worry or stress or just some, to have, you know, have the knowledge in the back mm-hmm. of your head um, and, and to be aware. I like the, the word awareness versus, versus that. But, yeah, it sounds like, you know, birds can look absolutely healthy yet have maybe some underlying problems that may not – uh, we talked about on the show, they may not come to light until the bird gets stressed, whether it be a predator attack or you're now adding new birds to the flock after the quarantine period and the stress of the pecking order. Now, whatever they was underlying kind of rears its ugly head. And uh, for you guys, obviously, this is preaching to the choir, but for our, for our listeners, uh, just to know. And so I tread lightly with that when people say, oh, my birds are so healthy. Because <laughs> if you every time said, oh, really? Well, when was the last time you had to test them for anything? Well, then you get a bad rap, and then nobody likes you. So, um, but but when 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 the shoe fits, when we're discussing something like biosecurity, I'll throw that out there again to try to get the wheels, to get them thinking up there about okay, and then it kind of take it one step further and explain that you know you may not even see this until the bird is stressed, and so the fact that now with um, the lead in that case where the uh, um, they died from a carcinogenic, and then you did the lead test in the chicken, and then you asked for eggs as well. And, and th- this is something that that family would have probably never known, uh, that, that a single egg was approaching that, that threshold. So mm-hmm. that, that's very fascinating, and I think a lot of our listeners are probably there just like, wow, this is, you know, let me hear more. <laughs> yes, it would Great. be really important, like you said. I mean, it's it's important to be aware of the risk, but also to really evaluate the environment of the birds. I mean, we mm-hmm. like the lead paint. We know when we discontinued the paint in the U.S., but so mm-hmm. if this is an mm-hmm. older environment. or So I think it's very important to carefully assess, and if there's questions, I'm sure that Dr. Patescu and I can kind of give advice on, on how, to, how to evaluate the situation so that the, the risk is limited to the absolute minimum possible for that particular family in urban environment. I'm taking a note here. I want to mention a little later going through my mind about things that could be around the house. And I know 
so many times, whether I'm weed eating or mowing or planting, uh, and, and this this may be mentioned, it may not be, but I'm just kind of going through my brain thinking around my homestead and at, at the at the outlet of the gutters. The gutters run along the, you know, and then come down, and, and there's always a collection of remnants from asphalt shingles. So we've got the asphalt shingles on the house, and at the, the bottom of every single gutter outlet from around the house, over time, there will be a collection of bits and pieces from that asphalt shingle, and there you go. you got your chickens scratching around um, and maybe picking up some of the remnants from the asphalt shingles that are on the roof, which, of course, um, there's got to be some contaminants in that asphalt shingles. So uh, that's just something that just popped in my head. I've never thought about that before, um, and that could be an issue as well that y'all have looked at or have, have thought about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in those roofing materials, you can have zinc, for example. So you, you made a so there's there's a lot of different things that our birds can get exposed to um, because they're um, in so in such close proximity to um, all these potential contaminants. And you made a really interesting point. You said the term biosecurity. And we just don't we, – we haven't connected the dots yet to, to th- when we think about biosecurity to think about um, how to mitigate, because in biosecurity we're mitigating risk from disease. Um, but we haven't really talked about we, – we always focus on diseases that are living. We talk about bacteria and viruses and parasites, mm-hmm. but we haven't talked about uh, contaminants and how to incorporate, you know, kind of what you were saying, for example, with uh, the roofing materials and how to uh, reduce exposure to those type of things when, when our birds are in contact with those type of materials. And it's a really, it, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's definitely a shift, but it, it's probably um, a, a very important perspective for us to have, um, especially um, for those of us that have uh, backyard poultry that we raise uh, in close proximity to our homes or in urban environments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you mm-hmm. look at, and I'm sure most states have something like this, but if you look at California, we have a lot of data looking at blood levels in, of lead in children six years of age and younger. So we can kind of under, start to understand by geography um, children that are exposed to lead. And in a lot of the cases, like, for example, you know, we, we, I think we're, we're most familiar with Flint, Michigan, and the problems mm-hmm. yeah. that they're currently having with lead. Um, and, you know, there are obviously some, some real significant problems there. But um, that, unfortunately, is not as much of an outlier as we'd like it to believe. And, and Dr. Pushner really knows this stuff um, a lot better than I do. But I was reading a story recently about an mm-hmm. area of Oakland called Fruitville, um, which is a you know, nice part of Oakland, California. And uh, the lead levels that they're finding in children um, there are higher than in Flint, Michigan right now. And it, it's not because of anyone's doing anything wrong, per se. It's just that there's a lot of older homes there. And unfortunately, and I, I wonder if Dr. Pushner can speak to this, um, when you do see um, building um, and, and you see um, people that are um, uh, uh, demolishing buildings, um, it is so important, and there's there's laws in certain states now to to mitigate this. It's so important to have water present in order to mitigate any dust, um, because when you are demolishing buildings, um, those all all the aerosols that are generating can really move around, and especially if these are older buildings, that can be a real problem. So it's um, really important. Not again, when you think about the biosecurity, you think about your own backyard, it's really also important to understand your neighborhood and your region and, and so on and so forth. So lead is, 
sadly not the only thing we are concerned about, but but going back to the wildfires that we have unfortunately um, had a, a terrible year last year, and seems like mm-hmm. we might be moving into that as a as not a total exception, unfortunately. So um, there there have been some some studies that have looked at at ash samples after residential fires. And so in addition to lead, for instance, typically those residential samples also contain um, elevated arsenic levels, elevated chromium levels, elevated copper levels, zinc, antimony. So right now we are not, while lead is one of the most commonly studied um, toxicants, especially in terms of um, impact on human health, there are other metals that have been identified to really be be elevated once a fire has has run its course through an urban environment. So we are trying to focus on a number of things, not just metals. We're also looking at, uh, and Dr. Piteski talked about that. I mean, if you if you think about what we have in the environment, we have couches, we have mattresses, we have computers, we have a lot of electronic devices. All those um, compounds in the environment, in the household, once they burn, they produce a lot of toxic chemicals. So we're also trying to focus on when there is a an urban fire, a wildfire in the urban uh, interface, and we have that ash, and then hopefully within the within due time, people can move back into the area. What do we need to worry about if we then start vegetable growing in the backyard or starting our New hobby backyard environment mm-hmm. again. What do we have to worry about? So we we, we created a, a list of potential chemicals that have been identified in, in these urban wildfire interfaces, and we're trying to assess what's the chance of those chemicals to end up in chicken eggs or in the chicken um, that we then potentially have a risk to human exposure. So we, we're really focusing on a set of chemicals and that goes into what happens when a fire happens, what is probably likely burning in, an, in a household, uh, what is the chance then that that chemical is not removed in, in any of the remediation attempts that are done, and then what is the risk to humans. So we have all these segments that we're trying to carefully evaluate to just assess risk and to also provide some guidance. And, and the thing is, for those areas in toxicology, we can't really predict anything unless we test. That's the difficulty. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the wind direction could what? be different that day. or The household chemical composition could be different. So we actually really have to get data to be able to give more direct information to the person who is really interested in making sure everything is safe when they move back into those areas. Doc, what was recommended the family we were talking about with, with the lead in the eggs, for example, um, that, that they tested the chicken and it died of a carcinogenic, and then you did the lead test on the chicken and it was high, and then you said, hey, can we have some eggs from your backyard, and, and, and the astounding number of that. <coughs> Pardon me. Do you know what was recommended? What, what did they say? You know, you may want to revisit having chickens in your backyard, I and mean, I, I guess there's no... Uh, it's in the backyard. I, mean, I can't imagine. I don't know what you could do to try to prevent that or to just keep them in one. Okay, just now there's no more free ranging. You have them in the run and the coop in this area. And we did soil samples from this area, and this seems to be better. So this is probably your best bet. What what kind of was recommended to to that family? Um, well, and do we know if they followed through? So what we what we usually do is we create a list of potential sources, whether mm-hmm. that's paint, paint chips, whether it's the soil 
whether it's an old battery that may have been lying around in the mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. So we, we're really providing a list of potential sources to go through. We sometimes have the families also reach out to um, an agency, a state agency. Many states have a lead abatement program where someone would actually be um, coming out to assess the environment. I also usually immediately make sure that the children and the people in the house are also assessed. It's, I mean, we have to take this to that next level and say, go to the doctor, indicate that you may have been exposed to lead through eggs, and ask mm-hmm. for a lead um, blood test on yourself. So we make sure that we, we, we don't miss that aspect in the, in, the, in the workup. So we provide a list of sources. They go through it. They may come back and, and submit samples. So we can actually say, well, let's look at the, the, the paint chips on the chicken coop. Make sure they are not lead-containing. Now, if they are, then we have something to work with. If they are not, we have mm-hmm. to keep mm-hmm. looking. And so it's kind of a step-by-step approach, also asking for, for some agencies to help. Um, in this case, um, there was concern about uh, the paint, and they had uh, done some uh, removal. And then we asked them to send in eggs every month for a couple months in a row until we could no longer detect lead at our detection limit so that we had a couple months of negative results. And we checked actually with the FDA what they recommended, and that was one of their approaches too. Have them send them in in a regular um, time frame. Mm-hmm. Make sure you get two or three negative results in a row after they had made changes to the environment, and then everything should hopefully be safe. Okay, got it. Um, so when we come back, I'm going to let you all ponder on this over the break because been doing this for a decade. Uh, I know my listeners. I know a lot of the. I know. I know what some of them. And when we post about this, I know what a lot of them will probably comment on Facebook is. Well, um, well, well. First of all, let me back up. There's two things here. <laughs> let me continue with that one. Well, I guess my chances of dying on the highway are a lot greater than you know consuming my chicken eggs. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hear it because I hear it all the time whenever I paste you know, put something out there to say, hey, even if it's just just be aware of this, be knowledgeable of this, listen to this podcast and then and then do with it what you will and then I'll get those comments. Well I mean how how many people are we talking about? What's you know, risk for you know my chances of this versus me, you know, because I'm going to hear it all. That that was the first first one that we'll ponder over break and when we come back we'll kind of address that. How do we address how do we have the folks kind of take this seriously, if you will, um, versus everything else we that's kind of thrown at us and in, in, in a relationship to backyard salmonella and everything else. And, I, and the, so we can think about a, a way to, to address that. And then number two, and I'll get beat up with this as well online, is that when I think about um, uh, my backyard, other backyards, um, and, and insect control. We talked about the asphalt shingles coming out down the gutter spouts. We've talked about, you know, all, all this stuff in our backyard. <clears throat> and then we talk about a more controlled environment. And you talked earlier about you even working in the commercial sector with this. Um, so you think about a much more controlled environment with, we'll just say the bad word, caged layers um, in the commercial industry where everything seems to be a lot more controlled um, versus, and we already know that, say, free-range chickens are going to have a much higher case of internal parasites than, say, the case. So, so to correlate with that, but um, I, I, and, and since you're doing both commercial and kind of homestead uh, urban, 
Um, when we get back, we'll ask you the, the question is, do you feel like up to this point with your experience working with both entities that there are more cases or instances, more opportunities, that's the word I'm looking for, of, of risk in, in, in my home, my homestead, whether it be in a, in a community or a farm, than maybe in the commercial um, environment where everything seems to be a little bit more controlled. Uh, so those are, I guess, the two things I want to talk a little bit after break. And I wanted to ask before break so you all can kind of compile an answer and think about that. Um, when, when we come back. So uh, I'll go to break, and then those will be the two that we'll address when we get back, plus anything else that we want to talk about regarding the uh, the topic today. If you're just tuning in, folks, great show lined up for you today. Um, and don't worry if you missed part of it because it will be archived 100%. Five minutes after the show ends, you'll be able to listen 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so you don't miss anything. But today our guest is Dr. Pateski and Dr. Pushner. They're both from UC Davis. The focus today is the relationship between chemicals like heavy metals, PCBs, PBDEs in the environment, and food safety with a focus on our eggs, including eggs from our backyard. So we're going to continue this fascinating talk uh, when we return after this short break. So don't go anywhere. Stay with us. If you haven't already, get that, that notebook out so you can take some notes. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. How would you like to sleep in on the weekends without having to get up early to let your chickens out? Or not have to rush home after eating dinner to shut your chickens in for the night? And who's had the unfortunate surprise that a raccoon, possum, or fox got to your chickens because you forgot to close the coop? Well, your days of worrying have come to an end. Introducing the Chicken Guard Automatic Chicken Coop Door Opener. Working off either the timer or light sensor, Chicken Guard automatically opens your coop door in the morning to let the girls out and shuts it at night to keep them safe. Tried and trusted by over 40,000 users worldwide. Buy Chicken Guard online at chickenguardian.com or your local farm and feed store. That's chickenguardian.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. 
She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. The Yard Bird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardBirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardBirdChickenPluckers.com. This looks like a job for... Super Chicken? You get the super sauce, I'll don my super suit. How would you like a punch in the beak? Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. So when we get back, we've we've brought back Dr. Pateski and um, uh, Dr. Uh, Pushner, and again we're talking uh, about a great topic today. So uh, before break, I, I gave you guys a couple of uh, questions I wanted to talk about um, when, when we return to give you some time to think about it. And one is kind of how do we relate to getting the message across where we don't talk about, you know, well, the risk or, you know, to be concerned or, or maybe use terms like we have, like be aware and be knowledgeable of this possibility uh, when we have, uh, we'll have some naysayers to say, well, let's let's compound this risk, you know, driving on the highway or this, that, or the other. Um, how do we convey this message to let them know um, maybe to kind of take it seriously, but, but and then I guess to add to that, 
what can they do anything other than just uh, well biosecurity other than tech, okay look around the house and see if there's anything that you know that's just not going to be good for your chickens to get into um, and then two maybe if they are concerned they live in a house where older with the lead paint issue or they moved into an older homestead with outbuildings and that you know pre uh, where the um, lead paint you know that that those folks may be a little more need to be more concerned and maybe take that extra step to have their eggs tested or um what do we say to these folks where we can i'm trying to put this in perspective like um at what level do you think people need to be concerned if they live in these older homes or if they're seeing something or uh, hey send them off if you're concerned or how do we get these folks and at what level do we need to have them more concerned yeah, so so one thing I'd say, um, Andy, is that you know obviously um, you know when I work with farmers and 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 producers in the conventional world, there there are no illusions about risk elimination. Um, the goal is really risk mitigation. So we're, we're just trying to reduce risk as much as possible um, for exposure to all kinds of things: Salmonella, Campylobacter, um, et cetera, et cetera. Same, and the, and the same goes here. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of not making perfect the enemy of good. Um, if we always mm-hmm. try to get perfect, then we're, we're not going to – we would never have chickens, and we'd probably still be in caves <laughs> at some level. Um, so it, it, it's um, – I guess it's really good to be um, – to approach these problems from a pragmatic uh, perspective and not trying to be mm-hmm. perfect. Because if you try to be perfect, um, I, I think that's counterproductive um, in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think one thing that, that you know – most states, um, there are there is access to diagnostic labs, and just mm-hmm. as we might be concerned about our eggs from a, a food safety perspective, um, we can also be con- from a food safety perspe- perspective with respect to, to salmonella, for example. We should also be concerned with um, exposure to, to to different types of contaminants that are in the environment. And you know, I, I'd be curious what Dr. Pushner says about this, but at some level, um, I, I would suggest that people submit um, eggs um, at least once in the lifetime of their flock. So if you just moved into a new home or if you already have a house um, or wherever you're raising your backyard chickens, um, if you submit um, one or handful of eggs, um, in my mind, they're, they're, if you submitted that and it came back negative, let's say, for lead or for any other heavy metals that you were looking for, um, that would obviously be a really good thing to, to know. Um, if you did find something, that would obviously also be a really good thing to know. Um, what we don't know is when you do find something in the eggs, um, what we don't know is how long are those, should we euthanize those birds? Um, are the eggs or the meat from those birds uh, continuously contaminated? Uh, if they were exposed, let's say, in a fire event to some ash that had a heavy metal in it, um, do we know... Uh, if you wait six or eight or ten weeks, that those eggs will be fine. We don't really know what we call a withdrawal mm-hmm. period for any of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I would say is if, if things don't change too much in the environment, um, having that kind of baseline level of knowledge is, is really useful. Um, how long that's good for, we, we don't particularly know, but you can use some, again, not trying to make perfect the enemy a good, you can use some commonsensical kind of observations to say, we haven't had any fires recently, um, there hasn't been, you know, heavy winds, everything, we don't see ash. I mean, I know when you live in an urban environment or anywhere and you've had fire events, um, ash will be on your windshield, uh, will be on your mm-hmm. front yard, will be on your home. 
Um, as long as you're not seeing those type of events, I think understanding just that baseline level um, of whatever it is, uh, at least one time is, is really useful. And, and the majority of people don't haven't done that, um, so that's why we don't we can't really assess how significant the risk is. And to Dr. Pushner's point, I think it gets really complex because this is not a this is a very house to house, um, neighborhood to neighborhood <laughs> type of <laughs> risk. So it is really challenging to kind of generalize, even at a zip code level or a county level or a city level or a town level, uh, even a block to block <laughs> level can be really challenging to generalize. So it, it is one of these um, type of things that it's really hard to predict. So, so that's why we would really encourage people um, to work with their diagnostic labs to submit. Um, to submit eggs when their when their birds do die eventually of whatever they die from, um, you you could request um, further testing of their liver, for example, um, where a lot of toxicants are kind of stored um, to kind of understand you know what the rest of your flock is dealing with, um, and that bird would almost be like a sentinel for the rest of your birds. Um, so there are ways to kind of just be knowledgeable and to understand what the risks are. Lead is really well understood as far as the levels that we're exposed to in the environment and what the risks are based upon those levels. Um, so I, I think I think those diagnostic labs are really useful. Unfortunately, the birds, for the most part, don't show symptoms. Um, at some levels, they do, especially while they're developing. Um, so as pullets and chicks, if they are exposed to lead, that can certainly affect um, how big they get and can affect their... Um, uh, energy levels, and they can get anemic and have some other problems. Um, but as they get older, it gets really challenging to really um, clinically see any type of, of of changes that would that would that would be a red flag. So, um, working with diagnostic labs is is really, I think, a, a, mm -hmm. a, a very useful resource that probably doesn't get used enough. And then for Dr. Pushner, that the other question, uh, really for her, because she had mentioned earlier, she works both for the urban flocks and even homestead flocks and, and the commercial, uh, I guess that question was, you know, based on a more, and we know they're not perfect, nobody is, like like Dr. Pateski was saying, but in a much more controlled environment like um, the commercial producers versus really anything goes in a backyard. I'm, I'm still thinking about, okay, what chemicals do I have here? What have I sprayed for? I sprayed for scorpions. I, I put out this, this bug killer around the house for this or, um, or whatever the case may be. Um, and, and then lead paint coming off the house if it's so old and then the asphalt shingles and going down the gutter to out into the yard and would... Would um uh, would that backyard setting have more opportunity for I'll use the word risk for what we're talking about today than a more controlled environment like the uh, say a commercial farm? Oh, hello. I'm still here. I don't, I don't know if Dr. Pushner are you still there, Dr. Pushner? Maybe she's still. Maybe so. She's still alive. Let me go. Can you guys hear me? Can. I can still hear you. Oh, there, there we go. We got you. Okay, now. great, great. There we got you now. Awesome. Very good. Right. Yeah. Did you hear my question, Doc? Yeah, I did hear. You. I I heard everything okay, perfectly great. fine. So um, <laughs> we are in the middle of a study here, trying to for the for the state of uh, California to look at the differences between 
pastured, commercial, indoor commercial, as well as um, the urban-type environment to assess Mm -hmm. it uh, and the difference. Uh, But from other studies that have been conducted in various countries, there is um, data that suggests that the a more controlled environment reduces the levels of uh, contaminants, especially the airborne and soil contaminants, which kind of makes sense, and that was confirmed. But also adding on to Dr. Piteski's comment about the risk, um, I think the idea of uh, submitting at least one in a lifetime or after Mm -hmm. – moving to a new area and submitting eggs to a diagnostic lab for assessing at least for, for, for toxic metals, I think is a great approach. What I would like to add is also that levels may not really be harmful to an adult, full-grown human, but they may actually be a risk to a woman that is pregnant or a newborn mm-hmm. or a small child. So I think we have to also mm-hmm. consider in this discussion what the risk factors are within that household because we we can tolerate as adults um we can tolerate more of those metals than than someone who's still developing so there might be a need to do more testing at a certain stage in a family's life than at another time interesting and you mentioned airborne and this was this will be my last question and I'll open it up to you guys to if there was anything else in your kind of outline you wanted to share today uh as we're kind of coming up on on a close but um, you said airborne. So, would would um, ha, has study shown, or is it could, would it be a, a good assumption? And we all hate that word. But um, if you lived, let's say, I mean, smack dab down downtown. I, I live in truly urban downtown Atlanta or downtown LA or downtown wherever. Uh, based on airborne smog, chemicals, pollution, exhaust, things like that. Uh, versus, hey, I live, you know, three hours from the closest Walmart, <laughs> and, and and here I am, and ah, the smell, of the wonderful air. Uh, that it sounds like that also could be um, uh, uh, related to what we might have in our backyard with with our poultry, based on, like you said, it, it just this particular topic again. Like we said so many times, y'all said so many times, house to house can different so. Th- can be different so much. Would would that airborne living right in downtown LA versus you know three hours from the closest Walmart that that could play a part in in something that our chickens could be breathing or consuming? Yes, from from what we know and what the studies have shown, mm-hmm. absolutely yes, that would make a difference. I'll open it up to both of you, doctors. Um, if uh, anything that on on your kind of outline for the show, if there's oh, I would have liked to get this, or let me stress this, or anything that we haven't covered. I know I've asked a lot of questions, but um, if there was anything else y'all wanted to convey or make sure you get across to our listeners, because um, I don't want to miss out on any of that. You want to go first, Dr. Kirshner? Uh, I, I, you already wrapped it up so nicely. I think we have to be well aware and we have to share what the potential risk factors are in a in an environment and, and that there are resources that, that help with that assessment. And then we have to use a lot of common sense in terms of um you know, there's there is no absolutely safe environment, but at least we can discuss how to reduce any risks um that may be related to chemical exposures and then end up in the chickens and through the chickens in, in us consuming chicken eggs. So I think we have to really be doing a lot of outreach and I'm really glad you have us on the show to just to just bring it to the level of consciousness for everyone to know what could be in the environment 
and then reach out to people who study this or who work on this to see if, if this is something that you have to dig further as, as your own environment um, represents a potential risk or whether you may actually not have to because you may not have any of the, the factors mm -hmm. surrounding your, your urban chicken flock that we have to really worry about too much. And again, I think it's a case-by-case, house-by-house discussion and don't be afraid to reach out to people to give you some advice on that. That's great. That's super. And Dr. Pateski? Yeah, the only other thing I'd add to that is, um, you know, I really like the, the point that you made about biosecurity, and I think it, it will just it'll be a, a slight shift in the way that we think about biosecurity. We're not thinking about rodents and flies and um, birds. Um, now we're thinking about things like you said, like uh, shingles on a roof, um, building materials, chipped paint. Um, so it's, it's the same philosophy. We're just applying it in a slightly different um, context. And, you know, one thing I'd point out with that is, you know, there have been some studies when, when birds are exposed, going back to lead, where we know so much more, um, there have been studies, uh, not only does the lead end up in the eggs or the blood or the liver, um, some of the organ meat, but it does end up in the manure. And I think that's um, particularly worrisome because um, in that situation, you can imagine um, many people compost um, their manure and then they mm -hmm. use yep. that, um, um, obviously, to grow other foods. Um, so mm -hmm. that, that connectivity between um, livestock and poultry in an urban environment and in a non-urban environment and our other foods, um, I just want to make sure that people say, well, I'm never going to have chickens again now. Um, but the reality is, is that... <laughs> right. Um, in, the reality is you can't you can't escape it. The, the the reality I think is really to go back to that term, you know, the, your biosecurity term, and to have just a more um, holistic approach to biosecurity, not just focusing on the disease issue, which you know I'm guilty of as much as anybody else, um, but to have that kind of broader perspective I think is really important. And then I'll add, um, you know, a term that I use sometimes when, when I'm doing my workshops is, you know, you have to choose your battles. And so, you know, I'll hand everybody an official, really thick, spiral-bound notebook from USDA <laughs> on biosecurity. And then I follow up and say, look, let's face it. Let's be realistic here. You're not going to do all of that. You're just not. And I give that example. Like, you know, you, I don't think we can expect a urban soccer mom with eight chickens to stop by the neighborhood car wash and wash her tires and wheel wells every time she leaves the feed store. Let's face it, it's just probably not going to happen. But other things that she can do, she can, you know, have that hand sanitizer, you know, uh, in, ne next to her poop and use it before and after. She can have that one designated pair of boots that she only wears in her backyard. She can refrain from sharing tools with her neighbor. So I tell them, I say, you know, look through this, read the material, and then choose some things you feel you can do uh, based on your budget, based on your time frame, what you think is important for you and, and your backyard and your situation, because every one that you can implement is one step further to a better biosecurity plan. Same thing here, I think it sounds like, because it's so, you know, it's so different for so many people in households to say, well, just do be conscious. Like sitting on that five-gallon bucket inside your run, looking and examining your chickens, that, that $5 bucket, that five-gallon bucket can be, <laughs> when you think about it, so important to your flock by just sitting on that five-gallon bucket and observing them. And so when you see that difference, you can act on it, walking around the house, looking for things that may, uh, where your chickens may be free-range or, or in the run, and just look for things that we've talked about on the show. The show's given you a lot of information, and now walk outside and look around and see if there's anything that you can address, move, or, or change in, in your environment that can help prevent 
uh, again, the biosecurity, um, this from affecting your flock. And so I would, I would kind of recap, uh, like that and, and, uh, as well as what y'all did. So for our listeners uh, to take with them after the show. So if there's nothing else, I want to thank again very much, both of you guys for coming on. It's a fabulous show, very educational, again, very science-based. And um, I think a lot of our listeners will be able to take away from this. And like I said, go right outside after listening to the show and and start looking around at what they've learned on the show. And maybe we can get some folks to... uh, send their, their eggs off once in a lifetime or um, if, they're, if they have some risk factors where they live that we've talked about in the show. So, Dr. Fateski, thank you as always for coming on, and we'll see you uh, next month as well. And Dr. Uh, Pushner, thank you for taking time out of your busy day at UC Davis to come on and, and share your knowledge as, as an expert in, in this field and share with our listeners what you've learned through testing and, and um, going out and doing the field data and, and all the science. We thank you for coming on as well. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all take care, and uh, we'll see you next time. Um, So, yeah, what a great show, folks. Two wonderful uh, scientists coming on the show to share their knowledge firsthand with us, uh, kind of uh, uh, backyarders, hobby keepers, and and homesteaders. And it's so great to have the right resource and and these uh, doctors doctors to come on the show and just and share. Uh, they want to get this information out there to us. We just have to choose now to, to use this information the way we can to help protect our flock and, and protect our family. So I learned a lot uh, today in the show, and I hope you did too. Um, I've got uh, a short break, and then I'll be back here in just a second, a very short break, matter of fact, and then we'll be back uh, with a little bit more. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Combat. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. All right. Thank you very much for tuning in. I've got one more uh, bit of information here I'm going to share with you. Um, We're still developing uh, the commercial for these folks. And you may or may not know because it is a brand-new product. It just came out on the market uh, January the 23rd of this year. And depending on where you shop, you may or may not have seen this on the shelves. Most of these products, when I was on my book tour up uh, in Michigan, Ohio, um, and the, uh, the big box retail stores, we saw this product, and it was mainly on an end cap um, and in um, certain stores. So you may not know this is even out there. So I'm going to share with this. This is kind of the press release, and then we're going to be compiling a, a 30 to 45-second commercial for the show. But uh, many of you may not know that there is a new 
Eggland's Best Chicken Feed that has been released back in January. And uh, I'll read this kind of press release for where we're developing the commercial from. Healthier feed, healthier hens, and healthier eggs. With more than 25 years in the business, Eggland's Best, and you know these guys, you see their, their, their product in the stores, Eggland's Best is known for its highest standards in taste, nutrition, freshness, and quality, and now the brand is bringing its expertise to backyard chicken farmers nationwide. The new line of Eggland's Best Chicken Feed and Chick Food features the same wholesome, all-vegetarian formula used by Eggland's Best Farmers that consists of premium ingredients rich in 15 vitamins and minerals that helps hens be a healthier uh, and, of course, results in healthier eggs, too. The new line features multiple varieties, including a USDA-certified organic option. I know a lot of you and our listeners are interested in the organic feed, made with Project Non-GMO Verified Ingredients for both chickens and chicks. And so let's look at the ingredients from egg. Eggland's best chicken and chick food. It consists of healthy grains, canola oil, and a supplement of rice, bran, alfalfa, sea kelp, and vitamin E. The product also contains no animal byproducts, no recycled or processed foods, and never uses hormones, steroids, or antibiotics of any kind. Eggland's Best even takes an extra step. Now, this is key, because you haven't probably heard of this, this this extra step. I don't know of any poultry food uh, that's out there that takes this extra step, but Eggland's Best does. Eggland's Best even takes an extra step to pasteurize all of the products to provide an additional layer of safety for both chickens and chicks. So give your girls the best. Backyard chickens rely on chicken food as their primary source of nutrition, which is why it's important to provide the best food possible. The premium ingredients, rich in 15 vitamins and minerals, are crucial for supporting the overall immune health, bone, muscle, and overall development, energy, eye health, egg production, and metabolism of backyard hens. Ready for this? Get this. Listen to these statistics. Feeding Eggland's best chicken food to backyard chickens will also result in um, superior eggs with, here we go, listen to these numbers, six times more vitamin D. Okay, six times more vitamin D. 25% less saturated fat. Okay, we're always concerned about that. 25% less saturated fat. More than double, right? More than double the omega 3s and 10 times more vitamin E. 10 times more vitamin E and more than double the amount of vitamin B12 than ordinary eggs. Okay, so never settle for ordinary. Where can you buy this new Eggland's Best Chicken Feed? Well, it's available at select farm stores, pet, mass merchandiser, and grocery retailers nationwide, including Fly. And I know it is at Family Farm and Home, if there's one near you, because I saw them a lot, and I saw their end cap a lot. Uh, and I know who mixes this feed for Eggland's Best, because they also mix the feed for Eggland's Best Farmers, where the Eggland Best come from, and it's good stuff. Um, because I know who mixes it for them. So you've got a bunch of choices. You've got the Eggland's Best Chicken Feed uh, in Layer Crumbles. You've got the Eggland's Best Chicken Feed in uh, Mini Pellets. You've got the Eggland's Best Organic Chicken Food in Layer Crumbles and in the Mini Pellets. And then you've got Chick, Chick Starter Grower Crumbles and the Chick Starter Grower Organic so you've got lots of choices there, and, and let's face it, you know all I had to do is say Eggland's Best, and you know what I'm talking about if you do the grocery shopping in your household. So I wanted to share that with you. We're compiling a 
commercial that takes all of that that press release, if you will, and kind of you know, taking the, the key points. And I really like the key points of all the extra stuff that you get out of your eggs by feeding the feed. But I wanted to go convey that to you today. So the next show, you'll probably hear a commercial regarding Eggland's Best All New chicken feed for your backyard flock. So that's going to wrap it up today. Thank you very much for tuning in. Let me go ahead and get over to my calendar. Uh, next Thursday, the 17th, it looks like we'll have poultry scientist and professor uh, and extension specialist, Dr. P- uh, uh, Dr. Bridget McRae. She'll be on next Thursday, the 17th, uh, the 1st and 3rd. And then uh, she's not going to want to miss that show. Uh, it is always a good one when Dr. McRae comes on. And if you didn't already listen to Tuesday's show two days ago, uh, we encourage you to do so so you can hear the study and the details of the study that basically uh, shared with our listeners that, nope, apple cider vinegar and green tea uh, really at, at that dose of one tablespoon per gallon of water which is the most recommended out there in chicken land doesn't do squat for coccidiosis regarding your your backyard flock your chicks uh, it's just it's not happening so uh, hey your four favorite words show me the proof that's all what we're all about here at backyard poultry with the chicken whisperer so thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you next thursday 2 p.m eastern time right here on blog talk radio god bless everybody